Welcome to Watershed's June podcast. My name's Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. And I'm Tara Judah and I'm the cinema producer at Watershed. And we're going to have a look at some highlights for us that are coming up this month. First off for me, Tara, I think is um, Gloria Bell, which if people remember, Sebastian Leo's the Chilean director, his breakthrough film, um, Gloria, kind of 60 plus, divorcee, grown up kids. It's a wonderful portrait of a very ordinary woman um, who's just getting on with her life. But she's got all these kind of built up family relationships, but she's on her own. She wants to, she doesn't necessarily want to meet somebody, but she goes along to sort of singles nights, dancing, and you know, finds herself, she meets somebody kind of wants to get into relationships, sees her kids having relationships. But as I say, there's nothing extraordinary about it. It's just all very ordinary. But it becomes extraordinary. And I think it was the the performance from Pauline Garcia um, was just brilliant. Um, The direction, Sebastian Leo, as I say, was was just great. And he then goes on to do Fantastic Women, Mm -hmm. uh, which we screened, which uh, an extraordinary figure in the film, the... the, um, transgender woman played by Daniela Vega and how dealing with transgender women in Chile in that kind of restrictive um, society and how the the Daniela Vega character fantastic woman is spurned by the family of her lover when her lover dies um, and ostracised by society so we're kind of making a statement and then, he, and then Sebastian Leo goes on to make Disobedience which is set in the uh, orthodox, very orthodox, tight-knit Jewish community, a lesbian relationship. And kind of both of those films are, are r- fantastic films, but dealing with very uh, issue-based, you know, this, a transgender and, as I say, a lesbian relationship. But the thing about Gloria was just the very ordinariness of it. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, the, the performance from, from Pauline Garcia, as I say, was just really, really wonderful. And and you kind of, when you, sh- you hear about American remakes, you know, you sort of do think, well, that would have been, like, Women in the Virgin Minerva's Breakdown, right. Almodovar's film, you think, oh, God, that would be brilliant as an American remake. But you hear about other remakes, you think, why did they do it? You know, Michael Haneke, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, the, but you think, Gloria, God, that would be amazing for, um, you know, a, a Hollywood actress to play. And, of course, what happens is Julianne Moore, I think, who plays Gloria in Gloria Bell, which is the, Amer- you know, this is Sebastian Lyle doing the American remake, of um, Gloria and you can imagine Julianne Moore watching that original and thinking that is such a brilliant character which captures an older woman and gives that actress something to really get her teeth into so what Sebastian Leo's done is given the original Gloria a, a, a reboot for the English speaking market um, but has done it as brilliantly as he has done the original I, I would argue. So I, I haven't seen Gloria or Gloria Bell, actually, but I've seen the other two of Sebastian Lillio's films, which I, re- I thoroughly enjoyed both of them, big fan mm-hmm. of both Fantastic Woman and Disobedience. My question is, do, is it, does it, do I need to watch the original Gloria first to then see Gloria Bell? Or should I go and see Gloria Bell and then watch Gloria? Do, or do you just see one or the other? Go and see Gloria Bell <laughs> and then go and see the... Uh, original. Okay. The, see the original. Uh, Julianne Moore is brilliant. I mean, she, Julianne Moore's just brilliant. Full stop. Mm. Um, I mean, I adore her. She's one of my favourite actresses. Her in her performance in Safe yeah. and uh, her performance actually in Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia yeah. are just some of the best screen 
performances I think I've seen. Aside from Isabelle Huppert, she's probably my favourite working yeah. actress. And, and this is very much, uh, you, you know, kind of down, downplayed. I mean, as I say, the, the, the great thing about it is, is it's a very ordinary sort of middle-class woman who's, you know, older, as I say, in her, in her 60s, divorced, um, growing up kids who are happily getting on with their lives and they're like well what is it for me what is my, my life is doing all these um, I'm working I'm, I'm just dealing with the kind of basics of life but it's in that kind of ordinariness that it, it's it, it's so well relatable to I think um, at a very kind of fundamental level is that somebody getting on with their life but there's something quite extraordinary about it that builds up by being with the characters what's great what's great about um uh, Gloria Bell is the divorcee that um, she hooks up with is played by John Tatura um, and if you remember John Tatura from films like Barton Fink and The Big Lebowski I think John Tatura is one of the sort of really great character actors and he just brings a kind of um, both a, 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 a sort of naive charm but fecklessness which which is sort of um, counterpointed by Julianne Moore's character but as I say it's it, it, so see that would be my recommendation and then seek out Gloria because of Pauline Garcia's performance in Gloria, see the original. Definitely a treat. Will do. So moving on to something that I know you have seen, Peter Strickland's In Fabric. I mean, just before um, you say something about, about In Fabric, uh, Peter Strickland is without doubt one of the most interesting British filmmakers, I would suggest. I, I would agree. His... his <laughs> His work from Catherine Varga, which actually kind of stands out now in, in his work as being actually the most con the more conventional, although it was very unconventionally made in subject matter because he was filming, here's this lad from Reading, uh, whose, whose debut feature is made in the Carpathian Mountains about you know, kind of peasants working in the sort of turn of the century. You just think, well, hang on a minute, how did this happen? Anyway, then he gets into, hits his stride with um, Barbarian Sound Studio and the Dukes, uh, the Duke of Burgundy. And what you get is this kind of mix, amazing mix of, you know, you feel that there's Italian giallo films in there, there's references to kind of fetishistic um, cinema of, you know, Europe. And so you're really getting this richness coming through and I think that's in fabric is continuing that sort of line. Absolutely, this just was such a joy for me. So I know I said If Bill Street Could Talk was my favourite film this year. I stand by that. Uh, in Fabric's a close second. It's still a lot of time to go, I know, I but <laughs> In Fabric's a close second. Yep. And so when I saw this film, I, I could say it was at London Film Festival last year, and it was the last film I saw right at the end of the festival. And I'd actually seen quite a few bad films, so I was sort of feeling a bit dejected and as if maybe cinema had abandoned me. And then this film played... And it was like, you know, that amazing moment that you have in the cinema where you just think, yes, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm showing up for. This is someone who completely understands what to do with cinema, uh, how to make cinematic language exciting and to do something different to what everyone else is doing. So this film, like you said, has the jello influences, the kind of softcore erotica stuff. But it also has this magazine aesthetic, a fashion catalogue aesthetic. Um, it's late night television commercials. You know, he's sort of blending so many different influences together. 
and different styles. And so there are parts of the film that are really kind of dreamlike. There are parts of the film that are in soft focus. There are parts that are really naturalistic, um, you know, everyday kind of conversations. And then there's these great photographic montage sequences as well. So you're constantly got, um, you know, your senses are really overloaded. And he's really playing to sensory Cause you, cause you, engagement yeah. here. Because you are always thinking, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Where, where, but, but never in a kind of, oh, where are we going here? It's just like, what is happening? This is amazing. And it, feel, it never feels derivative of all those sources. It doesn't feel derivative. No. It feels fresh. It feels unique. And certainly, you know, kind of one of the most cinematic things in, in that sense of it's come from cinema. I, I, for some reason, I found myself thinking about films like Roger Moore's the man who haunted himself. You know, those really kind of quirky B-movie, mm -hmm. kind of Hammer-esque stuff from the sort of mid-late 50s. You know, the, the 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 one about the hand that goes around killing people with Michael Caine. You know, real sort of pulpy B-movie stuff was in there as well. It is, I mean, like you say, it's a blend of a, a ton of different things. I mean, it's everyone from kind of like Joe Dante and um, John Landis, filmmakers like that. Uh, David Lynch and then sort of including things like M.R. James, this television yeah. stuff yeah. and then there's also like um, actually Peter Strickland says most of the influences from The Office <laughs> from Ricky Gervais the, the, which, the, yeah. which you can actually well, see in the film as well I mean it's very funny yeah. um, you know so even while we've got these Italian Jello kind of horror references in these genre films it actually also brings comedy um, and yeah. televised comedy be, 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 aesthetic because into the, it. I mean it's a it, it, it is a very kind of suburban setting it's Marianne Jean-Baptiste is, is the main character who works in a bank um, she's a bank teller won't give too much away but she's a bank teller and it's a very you know working you know everybody understands that's kind of which is the kind of um, the office sort of feel to it because Julian yeah. Barrett and um, Steve Orham's in it play you know um, these kind of really odd managers um, in the bank and into her world comes a second-hand dress, which has a life of its own. We shall leave it at that. But um, this dress is the is the thing that dra you know causes all the um, weirdness. To I happen. mean, yeah, it's magnificent because I mean, you know, even though you can and you can read so much richness into this film about consumerism, about um, being haunted by things, about aesthetics, but actually, I think for Peter Strickland, this is more kind of in a way less didactic than that. Um, he's not kind of making grandiose moralizing statements about the fashion industry. Um, what he's just looking at is the way in which quite ordinary circumstances in society, including workplace dynamics, complicate things mm. and how language plays a role in that, how the textures of fabrics um, maybe, you know, in, in how we kind of encounter them. Um, and I think when he introduced it at LFF, I think he said it was, he said that it was Nigel Farage's worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 yes. <laughs> Which is see the film and you'll understand exactly. <laughs> Fantastic way to sum up his yeah. sort of quite kind of crazy but extremely entertaining and just absolutely wonderful and eye-popping colours um, mm. in this film. Well, we, we've said about the, the cinematic influences and, and when you find out that, that Peter Strickland, when he was when he was younger, as a young man, was um, travelling from Reading. And funnily enough, I've done, I did this journey myself because I went to college in Reading. And you'd get on the, well, I certainly got on the bus, uh, went into London to watch films at the Scala Cinema. And the Scala Cinema was one of the kind of great, well, 
definitely one of the great repertory cinemas which showed a whole range from Italian giallo through to probably that Roger Moore film that I mentioned um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and everything in between the Fassbinder you know everything it was such a kind of rich um, programming there and very very influential and then you find out that Strickland did that journey from Reading up to London and when he lived in London he went to the Scala and you, you, you can you can feel that cinematic influence yeah, definitely. Um, and so, I mean, you know, th those influences are serving as the Sunday brunch titles yeah. that we're going to play this month. Um, start, you know, kind of starting with there's so many. I mean, you really could make an endless list. We're, we're unfortunately only able to show five films because there's mm -hmm. only five Sundays. Um, but including films like A Razorhead, mm -hmm. which was the first film he ever saw at the Scala. Mm -hmm. As a teenager, I think he was about 16 I mean, in the just, 90s. That must have just flipped him. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, and this is it. He kind of talks about like falling asleep in it and being confused and, you know, the, and very much if you think about the, the sound and the score mm. in, in David Lynch's A Razorhead, you can kind of see the influence already from Barbarian Sound Studio. But, um, you know, Strickland's creating that again with his film where he sort of thinks, you oh, know, you could fall asleep and, it, you know, wake up and it's a bit dreamlike and, you know, those things sort of fit together. So films like that, but also films like Belle de Jour, we've we, mentioned. We, which is absolutely that kind of um, erotica, fetishistic feel to it, very much so that um, Bunuel uh, got in there. The kind of surrealism, but yeah. then also the Italian giallo. So we will be showing a giallo. We'll be doing mm. Profondo Rosso, Deep Red by Argento. The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant. Got to have some Fassbinder well, in there. Well, of course, Fassbinder. <laughs> we did try to get Martha, um, yeah. that, that was the original one, because it, he, he again talks about that. And I, I managed to see some of Martha, Fassbinder's Martha. And, you, you know, you watch it, and you, the, just the way in which it's filmed, the the costumes that they're wearing, the environments that it's shot and just feels completely like some of the elements of, of Strickland. I guess particularly Duke, um, Duke of Burgundy, but also mm. it's it's there in fabric as well. But yeah, that unfortunately with rights and various issues, but we've got the bitter tears of Petra von Kant. And then also Eyes Without a Face, which is just yeah. fantastic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, kind of mystery, noirish yeah. sort of film so, so great black and white aesthetic so over that we we have got our very own mini scala that <laughs> yeah. will be running that will be running during june and we should just say that um we're also going to be marking and and celebrating the scala cinema uh, for cinema rediscovered coming up um next month in july because jane giles who's kind of one of the head programmers there and gave it that sort of really distinctive program and feel has done an absolutely brilliant um, book on it's, the, so it's fantastic which brings together all all of the programs those fantastic printed programs listing all the films um, into into one big collection um, and she's going to come down and be talking about um, that so that's something to look forward to in July but before that we are delighted that the director Peter Strickland himself will be with us um, for a preview of In Fabric, um, the beginning of June, and then the film itself opens um, towards the end of the month. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't wait to hear more of the fantastic gems that Peter Strickland has to talk about this film because if you've seen any of the interviews that are out there, uh, yeah, he just speaks so brilliantly on both the influences, but also um, I think the the kind of very low-key nature actually of his approach to the film mm. um, and it's just an absolute marvel it's so much fun uh, and it is that wonderful thing that you're watching a film 
which is talking to cinema, not just of the UK, but of a, of a wider sort of range. And you really feel the the viewing experiences that he's had, which has been so varied. He's, he's pulled together, as I said, not in a derivative way, but in a very fresh and original way, which is going back to my first statement, makes him one of the most distinctive, interesting filmmakers working. So moving from what we said about Strickland to actually another um, British filmmaker who I think has just grown and grown is Asif Kapadia, who's directed um, the documentary on Diego Maradona. And I was thinking about um, this because uh, I, I remember showing, um, we showed Asif's work at Encounters, short film festival, when right. he was making short, when he was making, yeah. you know, early work before he went on to make um, The Warrior, his first feature. And he, he was, again, a, a really fresh voice uh, coming into sort of industry that you're seeing when you're watching short films in particular, you know, and his, his film um, really standing out. But I, th I thought he was really going to move into sort of narrative fiction storytelling. Um, and I said with that kind of eye, strong visual eye that he's, he's got. But he, he then, he makes Amy Winehouse, he makes a documentary Amy, mm. about Amy Winehouse. And I think we can say the rest is history <laughs> because <laughs> that film went on to have such a big yeah, impact in the cinema. Um, I, I mean, I remember we screened it. It opened in, in July, the year it was released. It was, and, and I thought, well, you know, July is a quiet time. Documentary on Amy Winehouse. We, you know, we, we we love Amy Winehouse's music. You know, she obviously sadly died. Um, there's a tragic story there to be told. But I didn't think it was going to do that kind of the kind of business. Mm. I don't think he did either. But it was using archive footage. I mean, wholly archive footage. It wasn't like going and interviewing people. It was using existing footage. And he really told the story. Um, and there was a lot of backstory, obviously, to Amy Winehouse that came out. But he then followed it up with a documentary on the Formula One racing Senna. driver, um, uh, Elton Senna. Now, when I said Formula One, I paused there because I just thought to myself, <laughs> I mean, I, I have no interest in Formula One. No. Um, I, it is not a sport that I, you know, I don't even see it as a sport. It's, it's a noisy thing, people driving around. But there are obviously personalities, and I knew of Elton Senna. I think most people would have, would have heard of that name. But he tells the story of Elton Senna, again, who sadly um, died. Um, using archive footage, and he managed to create this compelling story. Um, it was absolutely brilliant documentary, yeah. and I, like you, I have very little interest in Formula One racing. Irrelevant, it doesn't matter, yeah. the film's not really about that, So, which is great because um, I don't have loads of interest in Maradona well, as this, a subject, this, this is, but this I is have faith yeah. that this is yeah. probably going to be a really fascinating documentary. Yeah. Well, the, nonetheless. This is the thing is that, you know, and he, he if you know anything about Asif Kapadi and you follow him on Twitter, you know he's a big sports fan. He knows his sport and he brings all of that to, to Maradona, but I don't, it's not an exclusive thing either because what Maradona is, is he's both the devil and, the, and God. <laughs> he, it, you, you see the agony and the ecstasy. And of course, for the English, and I say that specifically, he, he, he robbed them of progressing through the World Cup by the infamous hand of God. When he, when he, when he went up for the head and put his hand his way and he, he, he pushed the ball in, into the back of the net. But what, so he did that, which, which was in quotes, the cheating side. You know, and I, I do put it in quotes because 
what the documentary shows, I think it's something quite interesting. But then about 10 minutes later, he showed absolute genius, brilliance. I mean, a, a, a moment of a kind of almost unparalleled brilliance on the pitch when he scored the second. And it was just like, well, actually, yeah, we deserve, you know, he, 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 he's extraordinary. And so what you have is this incredible talent. And it's a talent that is born of, and I think it's the thing about football, is that, you know, it's that thing you can come from whatever background. And if you've got that talent, and of course Maradona comes from the the, the you know favelas, the mm -hmm. the, the real um, deprived neighbourhoods um, in in Argentina, uh, but he's got this gift with the ball, um, and but he's a, he's he's a street fighter as well as being a hugely talented um, individual. He's also a street fighter, and that hand of God was the street fighter coming out the next the next one was absolutely the ge the genius but what what you you see is this person being you know uh, the huge talent he is um but then also the politics that are behind football i think it opens it up into kind of wider frame particularly within european football within italy because he played for naples but it's also about it is about the power and influence of sport and then also what you get is the the sex and drugs <laughs> uh, and then you get the mafia and then you get Right. You know, there's cocaine there's all sorts and there's the way in which this person is just completely enveloped I'm not saying he's he's innocent you know I mean he is he, he is who he, who he is um, but there is there is a, a you know there's a kind of Capadia tells the story really really brilliantly as they're using again in the way he did with Senna and, and Amy just using archive footage so you really get a sense of the, the personality the tragedy, actually, um, the genius and the tragedy of, of Diego Maradona. And I'm delighted that there's a really brilliant sports writer who's based in Bristol, David Goldblatt. He's written a kind of fantastic book on a range of sports, but his book on, on football across the world, uh, The Ball is Round, um, he really gets into the significance and the meaning of football as a kind of, not just as a sport, but as a cultural thing and as a political thing. And he's going to introduce one of the screenings and just talk about the power kind of, of of Maradona. But as a documentary, yeah, don't don't worry about um, if football's not your thing. It's it's a really really insightful and entertaining film. So from a filmmaker that's not British but is actually make, has just made their first film in English language and in Britain, so it kind of feels a bit like a British film, even though uh, actually it isn't. It's a, it's a co-pro between, um, well, I think it's four countries, so the Netherlands, Belgium, Ireland, and uh, the UK, uh, is Dirty God, Sasha Pollack's mm. film. So this is her third feature. Um, she made a couple of features before it. Hemel was one of them. Uh, they played the festival circuit, but I don't think they kind of got the breakout success mm. in this country. And they were Dutch films, so they were in also Dutch language. But this is her first English language film and she's made it in the UK. It's set on a council estate in London. It follows a young woman who's played by Vicky Knight. Vicky Knight was a non-professional actor. This is her first real role in a film. She was discovered on Instagram. That's where Sasha Pollock found her. <laughs> um, That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and, and really kind of hounded her to give, get her the role, I think. Because mm. at first, I think Vicky Knight was a bit like, what's this woman mm. on about, you know, <laughs> getting some spam in my Instagram account. But, but she really pursued her thinking that she had the right kind of aesthetic to, to fit in with the film. And when you see it, you'll understand why Instagram was actually a great cast 
interesting place because um, there's funny, a lot in the film it's about. It's funny you should say that because when I saw some of the, when you see some of the images, that kind of makes sense because mm. it, they do feel fully formed. Does it? Well, Absolutely, because there's yeah. a lot about um, reflection. There's a lot mm. about. Uh, body image in this film there's a lot about how we perceive ourselves and how we show ourselves to the world and particularly how that affects young women um, but essentially what what was the kind of premise for this film is that Sasha Pollock was at this music festival um, and she saw a young woman who was a burns victim and she started to think about how other people look at uh, people with you know survivors of, of burns and and started thinking about how that must be in the kind of already this strange society that we live in that is so preoccupied with appearance and, and being looked at, um, and particularly young women being looked at. And so she wrote this character who uh, suffers an acid attack. And obviously that's also quite a big topic in, in yeah. London. You know, there's been a 500% increase in acid attacks in London from 2012 just to 2016. Mm. Um, you know, and, and it's, enormous impact so she started to think about okay let's kind of create that as a character so Vicky Knight's character basically has suffered an acid attack and it starts at the point where she's fit you know coming out of hospital and going home and the first parts of going home which are things like facing her really young daughter uh, with a new face trying to you know hang out with her friends and go to clubs with this new appearance trying to look sexy trying to get, trying on, to get on with her yeah. life she's living with her mother her mother's quite young and good-looking um, there's all of this this stuff around you know how how she kind of reintegrates her life in society and also dealing with the ensuing court case against mm. her ex-partner who happens to be the person who committed this crime and so she's she's trying to find a way to reconcile how she can carry on and, and she's in a way she's a little bit deluded in thinking that she might be able to one day get rid of the burns or that there's some kind mm. of end mark or surgery or something more that can kind of you know make her look how she did before and so it's this journey and I think the film's I mean it's a really brilliant film for a number of reasons one is that I think it's quite raw emotionally I know that I had a chance to speak with the director when I was in Rotterdam this year that Sasha Pollock worked quite a lot with Vicky Knight and a lot of the scenes are really personal and quite painful to get into because you know some of those things obviously Vicky Knight's not an acid um, she wasn't an, uh, attacked with acid she's a burns victim but mm. she she feels some of the same things that kind of thematically come up in the film so you'd get this really incredible performance from a very young actress she's really remarkable uh, that's one thing that I loved about the film and the other is actually the the music and the aesthetic and so Sasha Pollock spends quite a lot of time you, the, the the colors that come up in this film are like red and blue constantly mm. and there's this real fire and ice kind of dynamic to it um, where we're really seeing you know s different sides to her personality her way of dealing with things but also how harsh the modern world is um, and that's constantly played out through this really beauty beautiful lighting aesthetic throughout the film um, and there's there's a few kind of surrealist moments as well where that's really heightened and also it's got this incredible soundtrack you know it's a really dynamic soundtrack uh, and I think that you know she's kind of also again sort of positing the it's definitely not one of those films that's focusing on the grittiness of the council estate or any of that stuff but this this kind of dynamism of a young woman's life and how you kind of carry on with that uh, in difficult circumstances so I, I think this is definitely a film to see in the cinema mm. because it's it's beautiful to look at um, and just so moving mm. such an incredible story 
Well, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I remember you talking about it when you came back from Rotterdam, and I've, I've heard um, another couple of people um, say, saying, mentioning it, and it's one that I've been looking forward to seeing, so I'm looking forward to seeing it uh, when we screen it. Uh, so that's just some of the uh, films and uh, repertory screenings that we've got uh, coming up. Um, there, there is much more, and you should go to watershed.co.uk um, to check out what else is going to be on. But that's all for this month. Thank you.